Welcome to the Mike on Watch podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. This is a very special episode because I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Yo, yo, yo. I'm here with our uh, friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Yo, yo, yo. And we're here with Dan Roto. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Fitting in perfectly right now. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to get to you in a minute. Sweet. But before we get to that, we need to acknowledge uh, that we are nominated for uh, an MMDA uh, fave fan. Do you know how to say it? Creator thingamajiggy. Yeah, favorite creator. Yeah. Is, that okay. yeah. is that the fan fave creator? We just have to say thank you to anybody. Yeah, who used the hashtag uh, Laura Carruthers. She was amazing. Who's not related to Dan Carruthers, who helps with the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is just a true fan. And she does sketches of us and stuff like that. So yeah. you see these sketches sometimes, and uh, she's been a phenomenal uh, follower. Well, she did here. one where it was like an amalgamation of all the sketches she did of us, and it was like Max in the forefront, <laughs> and then Mike beside uh, Max, and then just my nose, <laughs> <laughs> which is not my best feature. So I was not not loving that. Yeah, but, but you made it into the poster. Yeah. Least, was, so that's good. Okay. Uh, so anyway, we want to say th- thank everyone for that and keep voting for us, I guess. It's Mike for MMVA. Yeah. There's, uh, it's down to the final five. So, uh, and we have no business. Let's acknowledge, we have no business being in this category at Absolutely. all. We're the very small fish in the But in I think here. we're going to win. You think so? Yeah. Think You've always been an optimist, Shane. Well, like, all the big like Dan's not in it. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, right? and he's much bigger, right? All he's the big much... fish didn't even bother entering or whatever. Yeah. Oh, so like, because of our plucky enthusiasm, you think we right. got a shot? Yeah, you're scrappier when you're at the bottom. You know, you guys yeah. got a shot. You're very different than everybody else. Yeah, I'd like the category. I hope so, but they, we just found out. I think the award is before the telecast. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Eh? Yeah, I'm, I'm announcing it actually. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Double oh, bummer. Right. <laughs> well, this is, now getting... we really have an inside scoop. Yeah, for real. Well, this is what I want to do. I want to transition to actual big fish and Dan Rhodes who's got a show right now on Much called Dan for a Week. Mm-hmm. Dan, just tell us, what's that show about? What's going on? So basically, we take uh, kind of curiosities that we all have, and we put it to the test. We do like social experiments. Um, the last episode I did was pizza for a week. And that's like every kid's dream is like, what would it be like to eat pizza for an entire week, right? So we put it to the test. We did it. Um, I actually brought you guys some pizza today. It smells so good. So here. for all of our listeners, uh, yeah, Dan came in. He's literally got four boxes of pizza. That's right. Okay. you guys up. Can we have a slice right now? Yeah, sure. I mean, it sounds a little, you know. Yeah, Mike complained that on the last podcast we, uh, when we were eating nuts in my house. Yeah, we were all like cleaning our teeth. So we're talking, we're going, <laughs> which is terrible to listen okay, we'll to. We'll try our best to, to be yeah. thoughtful. Max is going to go quiet. for it. Oh, Shaney's going for no, it I'll too. I'll be very quiet. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so you thought it was uh, you. like it's a childhood dream to eat pizza for a week. It's like once I get some independence, it's like I can eat ice cream and cookies if I want for dinner. Right, I'm my own man. And I'll be honest, I did that for a while when I moved out, <laughs> and it was brutal. But pizza, it was tough, man. Like it was tough. By Wednesday, I would like greasy skin. I was like breaking <laughs> out. I started taking naps, which I never do. So it takes a toll on your body. Really? Did you gain weight? You know what's funny? And I'll, I gained weight afterwards. So I feel like it did something to my metabolism. Right. Because afterwards, I gained like seven pounds. And then now I'm trying to lose it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it messed with me then. But during the actual filming of the episode, no. I remember that when um, the first night I kind of moved out of my parents' house. I was in res at university. And I was just getting to know my roommate, Chris. It was the first night. We were kind of just sitting there really awkwardly. And it was like midnight. And we were, we were like 17 years old. And we weren't allowed to drink or no one had alcohol. So we were just sort of sitting there very soberly and very kind of nervous. First night away from home. And then we're like, do you want to order pizza? And it was just like this moment of like, we can do whatever the hell we want. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. 
I guess we can do this. And, and the, the student card paid for – so we ended up ordering pizza like every single night, like all year <laughs> oh, long. Oh, that student meal plan. Yeah, because oh, like, the student meal plan. I know. So Max, I, did you gain weight at that point? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I did the old freshman 15. Did you burn out on pizza or are you No, still I still love it, it to this yeah. day. Have you burned uh, out on pizza? Yes. Dan, I'll be honest. So I haven't eaten pizza maybe two months and then – Last night I had pizza, <laughs> and it's only because of the episode. Oh, came you out. shot this a while ago. I shot this, uh, yeah, a while ago. Okay. Did you switch it up with brands every time? Like a new that's place? important. Yes, yes, we did. So I mean, there was one that was my favorite. There's one that made had the worst effects on me. But yeah, we tried to experience name some all names. Of Toronto, name some names. Yeah, we want some Toronto pizza it. joints. What do you like? What you um, don't like? Let's see. Pizza, pizza was pretty rough, and I, actually, I brought that for you guys today. I Thank apologize. you. We know where we are on the hierarchy now. It's just it was just very. Bready. He couldn't bring us any north of Brooklyn or anything. He brought us the <laughs> yeah, pizza. Where's pizza. our maker? Well, there pizza. is there's a lot of good local shops. Like there's uh, Queen Margarita, yeah, which yeah. is so good. And there's actually two locations of that, and that was like a whole different ball game. That was like I wasn't even pizza. <laughs> this this was like pizza, pizza is traditional pizza. The bread would make you so tired. It had the worst effect on me. What were your so you your YouTube channel is the Danocracy. Mm-hmm. You have over three hundred and sixty thousand subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the reaction like from them when they saw you going down this pizza rabbit hole? Uh, a lot of them questioned uh, like why my girlfriend was still with me. <laughs> <it's> <laughs> what do your girlfriend think of all this? She was into it. So we've done a couple episodes. We did Hulk hands. She was into it. Where, where <laughs> you I, look where, so sexy matching that pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the Hulk hands episode, I had to. It was like our one year anniversary. So, like, to stick to the plan, I had to wear the gloves during our dinner, and I did. I was trying to open wine with it. So, in that aspect, she wasn't thrilled, but the pizza, it was great, because every time she came over, I had pizza for her. There was leftovers. So Was nope. she wearing Hulk hands? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Right, yeah. Hulk hand job? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that joke was, was made a couple times, right. the whole Hulk smashing Stuff like that. But were you able to be like intimate with your girlfriend while wearing the Hulk hands? No, God, no, man. She wouldn't. She wouldn't touch me with a ten foot pole with those things. <laughs> no now, does that happen a lot in your relationship, where your you know endeavors as a professional get in the way of you know your day to day life with your girlfriend? That's a great question because I mean, YouTubers are. I mean, by nature, it seems they're very sort of open with their lives. They're sharing a lot. So how mm-hmm. does it affect those personal relationships, like Max said? It does affect it. So I didn't actually, I had this rule where I didn't put any girlfriends in any sort of social media uh, for years until this one I'm currently dating. And so that's how I knew it was special. I'm like, hey, baby, I'm going to put you in an Instagram. She's like, you know, but for a while I decided not to do it because the problem is if you guys break up, you have to explain it to all your followers. They then pick and choose what you did wrong. You know, they, they make stories up and stuff like that. But those ones tend to get a lot of hits, right? The breakup videos. <laughs> they do. They so, do. Bad um, marketing move. Then. It's frustrating afterwards, though, because uh, like some people, like, there's uh, prank versus prank. They constantly go back like, once a month to touch back on, hey, look who I'm with. And it's his ex-girlfriend in the thumbnail and just for views kind of thing. Yeah, 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 gotcha. Um, but it does take a toll. And it's like every time my girlfriend comes over, there's something new at my house. I made puffy slime the other week. So she came over. There was like puffy slime all over the counter. So she's used to it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Shane actually uh, got into a little trouble a couple weeks ago when we were at Coachella for sort of mentioning his marriage when he was uh, interviewing another YouTuber, Melissa Merck, and, oh, yeah. and then throwing his wedding ring 
into as the a hilarious gag into the water. Uh, <laughs> Melissa and, got mad. No, no, his no, wife. no my the, wife. The gag was he basically was going to leave his wife for Melissa. And but and other his... women were like messaging me like I was being so rude. They're but, like you're single now. But I was put, <laughs> I was putting on a, a character. Right? Right. So uh, my question though for you, do, uh, do you have to explain these bits to your, your girlfriend's parents? Because because you know that's a, a nerve wracking thing for all of us to say. Like your boyfriend does what? He's eating pizza for a week. What's with the Hulk cans? <laughs> like what are her parents like? <laughs> Big time. Oh my gosh. What so, do they do? The so her dad is like. Uh, he does like I don't know some sort of high up money manager. Oh, he's a fancy boy. Yeah, oh, yeah wow. he is. Um, and her mom is like a stay at home mom. But the first time I went over there, I made like a penis joke in the video that <laughs> like that week, and she and like I met her grandmother, I met her uncles, all in one go. So I was already sweating, and she started mentioning the video, and I'm like, oh my god, like there was a very prominent penis joke in this in this video. And she goes, oh, my God. So I was going to show my mother, but then, you know, there was that joke. And I was just like, oh, my God, please do not mention that. So nothing too scandalous has gotten out so far about your career and your parents, your girlfriend's parents? No. no nothing, nothing too awkward. Okay, no, good. nothing too, too I, awkward. I saw that in one of your videos with the pizza, your mom seemed a little concerned. Uh, she was taking your blood pressure. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. was making sure you're all right. They, yeah, my parents don't uh, – at this point, they don't question anything that I do. They used to, and they like I was getting. Yeah, but then after three hundred sixty thousand, you know, subscribers, the numbers speak for themselves, mom. But they yeah. still don't kind of get it at that point, you know. Like up until like a year and a half ago, two years ago, I was getting job applications for Amazon warehouse for my mom. Like she she didn't quite <laughs> awesome. go with it for a while. Um, then I bought a car. I moved out, so she kind of realized Sweet car too. Okay, he's doing it. Yeah, and uh, what are they customized vanity plates? Yes, yes. I decided to do that. Well, what car do you have? Uh, I have the Dodge Challenger. Nice. Is that a good one? It looks. I'm not a car guy. <laughs> I'm not a car guy either. I'm not a sounds not a car cool. guy either. Yeah. 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 Is that considered like a good car? It's a muscle car. <laughs> it looked like nice. the Knight Rider car. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's like cruising around in Toronto and that, and then like it's his cool. plate says Danocracy. It's fast. That's awesome. I've gotten tickets in it, unfortunately. Ah. But uh, I got them on those Hulk cans. Yeah. Yeah. I tried. Metal metal. You mentioned before that you know uh, who was it? Prank for prank. Mm-hmm. How much do you sort of uh, look at other YouTubers' work, other creators, and compare yourself? And how competitive? We asked Just Rain this as well, actually. Um, how competitive do you find yourself and, and comparing with other creators? That's a good question. Um, so I'll be honest. Like, if you do YouTube and you're in the game of competing or comparing, it's going to take a huge toll on you mentally because you're going to start to, you know, your numbers can't always climb. They're going to start to fluctuate up and down. And when they do start to go down, you start wondering, what am I doing wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Is it, or am I not cool anymore? Am I not funny anymore? You know? Um, so I try not to compare myself. I don't watch too many YouTubers that do the same thing that I do just to avoid any sort of unintentional, I don't know, copying. Yeah. Like lifting a bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, gotcha. Honestly, when I'm on YouTube, I'm watching like, there's this channel that just puts objects into epoxy and it's like this like craftsman channel. It's super weird. <laughs> What's epoxy? Yeah. Epoxy is like, um, you know, like a clear hard, it turns to like clear plastic. Okay. It's on like, like bar tops. Oh, oh I know okay. Gotcha. It's like that, but he'll like put a piece of bacon and stuff like that. He'll make like wooden furniture. Mm-hmm. So I watch that stuff. Right. Um, but I, I will admit that it has messed with me mentally here and there, just because one of my numbers did start to drop a bit, I started kind of thinking, oh, no, man, like, what's wrong with me, you know? Mm-hmm. So it does, it, you, you can't compare. If you had to say, though, who's your biggest nemesis? <laughs> <laughs> who's my biggest nemesis? Um, you know, there's a guy, and he's on nemesis. I like his stuff, but his name is, um, he does this thing called Man vs. Pin. 
So he goes on Pinterest and he tries these DIYs. And so he does a lot of the stuff that I do. And it's tough because I have to avoid his content because I don't want to copy him and stuff like that. And he does a lot of stuff every week. Who, who are your reference points when it comes to when you first started to do these videos as like in, in the world of comedy and like online personalities? Um, so comedy wise, I've always loved Jimmy Fallon oh, nice. because uh, I think he's got fairly clean humor and yep. he's still funny. He's respected in the industry. Um, he's also like a quadruple threat. You know, he sings, he plays an instrument. He's got he's everything. A comedian. And now he's on, he's killing the YouTube game too. Yeah. He's figured yeah, that oh, out. Yeah. How well, he just goes viral with, you know, oh, sure. lip sync battles. All of his bits on The Tonight Show. Yeah, the to, ukulele stuff with the, you got with the roots and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Um, but when YouTube first started, I've been doing YouTube for almost 10 years. I did it before it was even a website. And um, back then, there was like a guy named Charles Trippy, who's still doing it. And there was a guy named Shay Carl. And now Shay Carl just recently had a scandal. Um, he's got five kids, super religious family. And this cam girl released all of these like sexual messages about him. So now he's kind of gone from YouTube. Wow. Unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. Man, I got caught up in it accidentally because I, uh, I was a big fan of him. So I decided to make a video called um, My Thoughts on Shay Carl. Like on his scandal? On his scandal. Wow. Because he's totally gone from social media. And in the video, I mentioned the girl because what she did was he basically, he called her disgusting, right? And so from that one comment, she goes and releases all these sexual messages so it was kind of like bringing a gun to a knife fight, the way I referenced it. Right. It, it was excessive. So I mentioned that. I mentioned her name, and I made a, a light reference to cam girls. Um, and so at like 10 o'clock that night, my phone's blowing up on Twitter. And I look, and she had seen the video, and she started quoting me saying, Dan doesn't respect women. And all of her followers, which are these like greasy dudes, were all like, you're going to regret you ever said that. So, wow. so I took it right down because you don't want to mess with, with, uh, with somebody like that. In a situation like that, do you find yourself feeling remorseful because of what you said or more so because of the backlash? Uh, it was a lesson learned. I shouldn't have said it. So it, it was a lesson. Because on YouTube, um, I take what I do very serious. I know that I'm uh, – I hate saying this, but some kids do look up to me. And so if I say something like that, they're going to attach themselves to that. And uh, so I do regret saying it. Right. I shouldn't have said it. But at the same time, I do have to implement some sort of realism – to what I do. So people keep coming back. How does the business work as a YouTuber? So clearly you're involved in the much network, mm -hmm. but like when you're like, when did it go from like a part-time thing where you had another job to like, Oh man, I'm getting like lots of sponsorship dollars. I'm buying a Dodge charger. What's it called? Challenger. Challenger. Close though. Yeah. <laughs> um, We're car dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, so basically I went to college for TV broadcasting. Actually where you at? played my frosh week. Oh yeah. Where? Fanshawe. Oh, nice. I remember yeah, yeah. that gig. Dan's wearing it, an Arkell shirt right now for right. our listeners. It rained on, it all did our, rain, yeah. on all of our gear. Yeah. And we yeah, we lost a lot of gear that night. It was a good gig. Oh, so sorry. Max, what generation of merch is that? That's a new shirt. That, oh, that's a brand what, new. What gig was okay. that from? No, I bought this online. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a new model. Right, Thank cool. you. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So when I graduated, I, uh, I was applying for dual citizenship. So I had to move to the States. So I moved down to Texas, uh, like Dallas, Texas. And when I was down there- Why? Well, my dad lived there at the time, and I had to be in the U.S., so I was sponsored under him. And when I went down there, a week later, he got a new job and moved back to Canada. So I was like, you know what? I'm semi-settled in here. I might as well stay. So I knew nobody. I was like 21. I didn't know anybody. It's a weird age because you can't like meet friends at that age because I didn't do a normal job either. Um, so then I started doing YouTube. And then from there, I won a contest with Subway at the MMVAs, and that was kind of the first... That was when, like, 
influencer branding first started. Yeah. And I was brought back two years after that. Um, and then uh, went back to Texas, stayed there for uh, three more years. And from then, it kind of just picked up. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to reach out to companies that I like just to see if they want to like let me review products. And then from there, people were like, hey, we'll also pay you if you do this or that. Um, and now, luckily, influencer marketing or branding is a huge thing. So it's not unconventional anymore. It's sort of become, not anymore. Right. Not anymore. Before everyone was so scared. They're like, I don't know. Are there any brands you won't work with? There was a, like for a while I was getting these, uh, cam girls. You won't work with cam girls. Stay away from them. No, there was like a monthly subscription of like a lingerie and they were hitting me up like, (laughs) like three times a week. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to Your do girlfriend that. might love it, though. True. Do you find, I mean, you got in pretty early, it seems. Do, yeah. you, do you find that it's over flooded now? Like, is it hard to stand out in this day and age? And I guess this kind of gets to a question about what your advice for aspiring influencers or YouTubers or creators would be. I try to stay positive with it. But it is, it's very saturated now. Very saturated. And honestly, if you're starting a YouTube channel now, you got to be pumping out like three videos a week, good quality videos. And they have to be like when something's hot, like these fidget spinners right now are super hot. You got to like do a video on crazy fidget spinners. And then you got to do the next one. The next What's one. a fidget spinner? SNL just did yeah. a bit on it. Yeah. Yeah. It just it's for kids with like ADD or something and it spins and holds their attention. It's like something. a bearing. You oh, like spin okay. it in your hand. Must feel great. Do you edit all your videos? I do. Yeah. How long? Because I watched the Magic Tricks one. Mm-hmm. How long does that take you to edit that? It's like an eight minute piece, roughly. I think. Yeah. How long would that take you to edit? Uh, it? And you have to do it three times a week. Yeah. Jesus. So like work. five five hours. Five to, hours. To Are edit? you pretty good on the editing machine? Now I am. Nice. You know, uh, there was a radio guy. I did a panel last week, and he he mentioned something that like, oh, YouTube's not the hardest job, and so it it still sits with me. And I'm like, no, man, like you don't get it because editing takes five hours. And then shoot you, it. They need to shoot it. You yeah. have to promote it. Before, think of a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. You think of an original it. idea. Uh, and then all week long, you got to be like going back to it on Twitter. Hey, have you seen this video without being annoying? Do you manage all that yourself? Everything. Like, do you dread every week of your life? Because you're like, here it goes again. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, luckily I like it. Mm. There are weeks where it is like that. Yeah, because I don't, I don't edit nearly as much as you. And I'm like that every week. But I enjoy it because <laughs> I get to put my own humor into it. Right. Like if I were to get in, like some YouTubers hire editors. But it's like that so much of your style is in the editing that when you hire somebody else to do it, it's like, oh, their jokes are a little off. That's know? a great point. So you're a one-man shop. It's, it's of you. It's your creative everything. Mm-hmm. Start yeah. to finish. With yeah. YouTube. I mean, damn for a week, there's a lot. There's of a lot course. Of yeah, yeah. But for, for your YouTube. Yeah. To be, oh, we got to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up. All right. Well, we're going to thank Dan for being here. And then we'll talk a bit more about Incubus. Yes. Thank you, Dan. For, thanks for so joining much for coming us. on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for bringing the pizza, thanks too. It's pizza awesome. Too. Is this the biggest entourage we've ever had from a guest? Oh, yeah. He's literally here with 15 people. <laughs> yeah. He's got like yeah, a one man shop. A, pizza, quotes, a yeah. pizza wrangler, <laughs> social media. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So Dan Roto has left us. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on here and yapping with us. He was great guy right fellas love that guy almost a champagne boy all right so today on the show guys we have incubus yes brandon and jose were kind enough to join us and uh talk a lot about their new record touring there was a time in my life when drive by incubus was my favorite song of all time really yeah like 2002 and i it was one of the catalysts for lear- uh, Is learning that to play the, guitar. Uh, whatever tomorrow brings i'll be there it's a three-part harmony listen yeah is that that song that's the one hmm. Uh, yeah, they, their catalog is awesome, and it's pretty eclectic too. It's like they have a real range of tunes. I know they used to get lumped into the new metal category, but they're way cooler than that. Also, 
uh, Brandon Boyd is famously very, very good looking. Was Brandon Boyd as good looking in person uh, as, as he is in his music videos? Was he wearing a shirt? <laughs> he was wearing a shirt. Has but Father it, Time caught up with him? No, he's yeah. in that like that he's Jared Leto guys. category. Where, like, he's one of those California guys that clearly eats the right food, takes care of his body. He did have a few buttons done down, like to sort of to the the top. Ooh, of the, yeah. He's got that little chest hair just between his in the middle of his chest there. He, he looks very youthful and healthy, and I feel like all those guys that are a little bit older, um, like Jared Leto, like what is it? He's like. 45 something something yeah. so it's like you know these guys have to basically like eat super well work out but yes Brandon, even the no doubt guys they who, looked great who we'll get to later because we just interviewed dream card today they look great and they're all probably mid-40s now i want to say okay here's a question well if you guys were in rock bands like lead singers of rock bands and had hot bodies would you always have your shirt off or would you find excuses to take off your shirt? Like, for, I saw Panic at the Disco last year. I didn't think that they were, like, a shirtless rock band. But that dude's taking off his shirt live. Anthony Kiedis still does it. Would you do it? I wouldn't, no. No? If I had a great torso, I would never wear a shirt. <laughs> I wouldn't. Because I love being shirtless. See, I... Uh, <laughs> I feel like Matthew I've, McConaughey. I've, I've been in really good shape in my life, and I've been in horrible shape. <laughs> so, like, once I was in too good of shape where... I took my shirt off and I just looked like the so vain it was embarrassing. Yeah, it's not not your brand really. No. So if if maybe I could be skinny without muscle and look like I wasn't trying, maybe I would then. Yeah, I'd probably be in that department mm-hmm. too. But also, I feel like you have more. Uh, there's more freedom if you're a California guy to take off your shirt. It's like more it's like, part of the culture. It's part of the culture. He's, he literally surfs every day. He yeah. doesn't have to wear a shirt most of the time. Like it's just a fact of his day to day life. Can you envision a time where you would ever perform shirtless, Max? You know what? It happened once. Uh, it was like an early gig uh, with the Arkells. I was actually Charlemagne at the time. It was in St. Catharines. It was a Sunday night. There was nobody there. And then just before we went on, the promoter told us that they weren't going to pay us. So uh, I think our pay was probably about, I'm not even exaggerating, $35. Right. And so out of protest, we performed the last half of our set with our shirts off. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you have the best bod out of the three of us? No, you do. Really? I think so. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, fellas. That's why I never take <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys want to get the cues? Let's get to it. How do you guys, I mean, you guys have been doing this a while. How do you feel about press in general when you do these sort of car wash junket things? It's one of those things where it's the closest that you get to this job feeling like a job. Yeah. But even then it's still um, a pleasure. We're so happy to travel around and, and talk about um, the thing that we love to do. So we, uh, before we were here, we were in New York for the past couple of days doing the same thing. And before that we were in uh, Mexico city doing the same thing. And then a couple weeks before that <laughs> we were in London. And before that we were in Berlin and then doing a bunch of it in Los Angeles, where we're from, too. Are you, and, and the saga continues. Yeah. Are you guys doing shows, or is it just press for the record? Um, yeah, we got, we got like, a couple, uh, like, TV things that are happening this right. month. And then um, we go back to Mex- Mexico City for uh, the Warp Tours being, uh, first time being in Mexico City. So we're going to play that. And then um, uh, we're doing a K-Rock show back in L.A. this oh, month cool. as well. So a few things here and there, but we don't start our proper uh tour in the u.s until the second week of july oh nice nice yeah 
I kind of want to go back to the start a little bit and just, I wanted to ask, like, growing up, was music sort of a big part of your family lives? Very much so. Um, my mom is an artist and uh, she was a singer and a dancer growing okay. up. And so when, when her and my pop met, um, they were in the theater together. Oh, wow. Musical theater and stuff like that in California. So I, I suppose it makes perfect sense that all of their um, kids have interest in music. And then my mom like played the piano and sang and her dad, you know, my grandfather uh, played guitar and used to sing to my brothers and I. So it was a huge part. And then also just growing up where we grew up um, in a suburb outside of Los Angeles, I think we were exposed to and had access to uh, kind of an international music scene. So there's always something coming through Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, did you feel like not pushed towards it, but I mean, was performing always going to be a thing that you were sort of uh, drawn toward? For me, it it's still sort of happily surprising that I am a, a singer of a rock and roll band because I, I was always a little bit more shy or, and, or, or anxious around the idea of, of performing. And it took me a little while to get over that, um, that hang up. Uh, Jose and I grew up together and we grew up um, around a, a love and fascination for art. So both of us uh, paint and grew up drawing and right. um, studying those things. So I kind of figured that we would both end up in professions that were in that realm, more of in a visually expressive realm. So, but what's cool about what we do is that, you know, writing music is not terribly dissimilar from painting a picture, but we also have the opportunity in this um, realm to express our, our visual capabilities and our visual creativity because we're designing um, production for concerts. We're making music videos. We're designing album covers and shorts, merchandise all around. Yeah. You get to really be uh, as, as multi um, disciplined as you want i mean really the sky's the limit you know you could be as controlling <laughs> as you want to be or as hands-off as you want to be but it's fun jose and i have have designed you know lots of the incubus album covers and a lot of the incubus merchandise and um so every show you've ever seen has been at least in some part um a brainchild of uh, of some of us or all of us right so. yeah plus plus the the art and drawing and all the visual stuff still is you know a big part um, of my life. I know of Brandon's life too. So it's like, we're just, there's just many different facets for it to come out, you know? <clears throat> I mean, when you guys collaborate on those things, how does it ever become contentious where it's like, no, it needs to look like this. Or is it, has it always been sort of an easy collaboration when deciding on album covers or anything when it comes um, to the There's art? a lot of spitballing, you know, I think we always are pretty good with finding a happy medium where everyone's happy, you know, but, um, you know, it's, we're five different individuals sure. with different opinions. Um, and same with, you know, the music writing part of it as well. It's like everyone has their thoughts and their opinions. And it's really just, um, I think it's really just having respect for one another, hearing each other out, just under a, a mutual respect, I think, you know. And through all of that, we kind of just find a place where everyone's happy, everyone's, you know, contributing. And then the final product is really just, it's just a big experiment where everyone's contributing. And, um, you know, for this last record, I think we've, we've, uh, successfully done that, you know, and I, I got to say more so than probably the last couple of records in my, in my opinion, you mm -hmm. know, uh, just being in a band is a, an experiment in uh, cooperation. It's a family, you know, it's a, it's a microcosm for uh, a traditional kind of family unit. 
And um, it's interesting and kind of ironic because in some ways, like our band family has been more successful than some of our individual family units. <laughs> it's been the place where it's like, we got to work this one out. You know <laughs> right. I mean? But it also is an exercise in malleability and adaptability. Like we have to, um, we don't have to, I think we've all chosen to um, be uh, of a relative malleability at all times, especially when we're making music because um, there is no absolute right answer. Right. A song can start one way and end up a completely different way. And you have to be open to that possibility otherwise you're just going to lose your mind in the process if you try and get too controlling or too micromanaging especially with the, the creative process around songwriting you'll just end up pulling your hair out um, so it's, it's actually a wonderful exercise to be that open and that adaptable um, especially when you're lending so much of your uh, emotional and occasionally egoic self to sure. the process because you could put like your heart into an idea and you're pretty sure that you've struck gold or you've had a moment of genius. You're certain of it. And then your band members are like, eh, it's okay. It'd be cooler if you didn't do any of what you just did and maybe do this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so you got to, you just, you learn um, uh, an adaptability and a malleability that um, I know I've actually taken it into my outside life quite a bit. And it's helped me to not, be take things so seriously does time help you not take maybe that not rejection but sort of like uh maybe lack of enthusiasm so hard absolutely uh we we have a lot of practice with it we have uh, (laughs) over a quarter century of practice in adaptability in these creative things and um i think it might be another reason why we all have uh i guess we can call side projects i hate that term but (laughs) things that we do uh, aside from Incubus, creative projects that are away from Incubus um, that we get to be uh, as sort of self-indulgent as we want. You yeah. know? And both Jose and I paint and are visually expressive. And, and well, actually, all of us make music outside of the realm of Incubus. But then when we come back into the fold for this band, it's like we're taking those uh, extracurricular activities and adventures and they all kind of help to inform a bigger picture with our band. So um, I think it's one of the reasons why we've continually been enthusiastic about this project mm-hmm. is that it's like, you guys like, look what I found right. in these past two years and we haven't been making music. I found this new way of, of writing or I found this new way of playing guitar. Or, you know what I mean? Like sure. all these different things that we kind of bring back from our individual adventures. Right. Yeah. yeah. Time, time and experience definitely helps. And I, I think also just, um, I think our level of optimism too, because I, I know for myself, I feel like everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to, you know, mm-hmm. and not to get all hippie, but I, I truly feel that way. So to get hung up on things that I may have, that may have bothered me years ago. So there was know, a time when you were a cynic though, or um, more cynical. I mean, I think I still kind of am, <laughs> but, um, I, I always have a level up of optimism in my life, you know, um, a dose of both probably yeah, it's a, is probably, wise. It's a good, it's a good balance of the two. Don't drift yeah. totally into cynicism, but to have it on your radar. Yeah. To have certain, I guess what you'd call, uh, potentialities or inevitabilities on your radar mixed with a healthy dose of optimism is, I think, the best way that we've found as a band to approach this whole thing. Right. You know, you're aware how things could go. doesn't mean that they will in an absolute sense, but it's like, over there, if we keep going down this road, this, things could get shitty. <laughs> so we should 
probably steer in this direction. But even if it even if it does get shitty, you know, which it has, that's where the optimism comes in, and you find the silver lining. I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of how I, you know, keep Mm -hmm. moving forward, keep keep pushing on. Right? Did you come from a creative family as well? Um, You know, not really. Um, My dad played a little bit of trumpet in high school, but um, and he he's also he he was an engineer for a long time too, so he kind of had some creativity, you know. Um, um, uh, yeah, that. Uh, sorry, um, <laughs> <clears throat> but for the most part, I think um, it was just something that was always in me, and not so much something that I saw in my family. But music was definitely a part um, of my family. So I just remember growing up listening to a lot of like Mexican Spanish music mm-hmm. and then just um you know there was always music in the background somewhere you know so it kind of seeped in and before I even knew I wanted to play music I was just always drawn to it and very rhythmic I've always I always sort of um was sort of just enthralled by the beats and the drums and the rhythms so you know that was just my normal tendency so growing up, becoming more aware of music and music that I particularly liked, like in the end of, I'd say, elementary school, middle school, I started finding my the bands that I personally liked. Yeah. And it just was inspiring. And more and more as I was getting older, I, I wanted to play music. So um, I wouldn't say so much it came from a creative background, but it was definitely in me somewhere from, yeah. some, <laughs> from some place, you know. Totally. You guys started the band in grade 10? Yeah. Around yeah. there? 1991, yeah. So, I mean, things, I guess success kind of happened. I would, would you say sort of like you guys were sort of in the machine pretty early on, but was there ever a time where you thought, like when did it become a viable sort of career path, I guess would be my question. I'm not sure it is still. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, we're officially like we're in this. Like, yeah. We're, it, we're professionals It worked out for point. you guys. We were in deep. <laughs> yeah. It, um, I don't know. Uh, there wasn't any one specific time. It was just always, it was always, we always had, kind of like small goals you know like first playing parties sure then playing to you know big parties then maybe playing a club in la even though we had to pay for the tickets sure place what they called it yeah bar mitzvahs we did bar mitzvahs in we there did, we, we did hey. a couple bar mitzvahs yeah. but it always grew very slowly but in that direction which you could see I, that it was growing though. yeah it was sure yeah. so we kept grasping some big kept, opening gigs where you play for an exactly. establishment yeah exactly but was there ever a time where you thought oh this isn't a viable path we might have to do something else or did it always sort of grow organically and, and you were on the right path all the way I think it always kind of grew. It, it always had some element of like hope to it. And I don't know if that's because it actually did in, the, in, a, in reality or we were just sort of like blindly optimistic. Sure. But the thing is, is even if we were just blindly optimistic, I would have to assume that that is part of the formula for some of our success is that we uh, believed that we were... <laughs> <laughs> that we were heading somewhere. There are moments where we probably weren't. If sure. we really checked in, like true pragmatism, <laughs> uh, there are probably moments where it was like, you guys should probably get jobs at now at this point. <laughs> um, no, we, we, we always kind of just forged ahead, even um, amongst uh, some of our biggest failures. And I think that's, it's got to be one of the reasons why we still uh, are here, why we still love making music, is that we have a, a kind of... Um, internal but also eternal optimism 
Yeah. We, yeah. We've always had a little nibble of the carrot dangling in front of us, just enough, you know, mm-hmm. for us to just keep moving forward, you know. Nothing has ever been sort of handed to us on a silver platter, mm-hmm. platter either. All of our triumphs have been um, hard won. We've always felt like we earned those opportunities. But most of us come from very sort of, quote unquote, working class families, too. Like we all had to have jobs growing up. Right. And we all had to. I, I didn't get an allowance just because... I was, I lived in that house. Like my pop grew up very poor. So it was like my brothers and I had to work. I had to do like yard work and then shop work and then housework. And then we, <laughs> then we got like our, our, our pittance, you know? Um, so the principles of sort of working to earn money was always instilled in you from an early age. Very much it's a good so. Good ethic, good yeah. work ethic from that, you know? And I'm yeah. same. We also, it's interesting now, now that I'm kind of thinking about it, um, we don't take some of the, the luxuries that we've accrued in this band for granted either. Like when we fly in business class seats, we're always sort of like, these are nice. Like we're testing them out and, you know, (laughs) check it out. They they got X-Men, you know, like (laughs) the, you know, all of these things or even like a nice hotel or you're still appreciating the perks. Honestly, like those things have not gotten old to me yet. That's crazy. It's amazing because we also spent the first two solid years of touring we were just talking about this because we're riding around in a passenger van today and it's like the exact van that we cut our teeth and lived in and and drove ourselves around uh the states for the first two year two plus years and it was hard man but it's like we carried ourselves to every gig we ever did and set up our own gear yeah and broke it down sold the merchandise out of the back of it you know we're and definitely, so we're definitely the tortoise, you know, of the two. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. But I think I think that's, in, in my opinion, that's kind of the best route to sort of take because nothing is really there's no there's no like peaks and valleys, like drastic ones. It's just a slow, steady, you know, growth. Yeah, yeah. which builds a great foundation, I think. You know, and yeah. so when you get to a certain level, it's like you can really appreciate it because you knew what it was like when you were grinding or whatever. Yeah. For sure. We yeah. remember. Yeah. <laughs> I think some yeah. bands forget pretty quickly though, right? And they get used to living at a certain level and sort of uh, living a certain lifestyle. Maybe. Um, maybe. I, I think I think part of that too, which, what I've seen is like that drastic like kind of grinding and then oh, the jump. All, of, all of a sudden you have everything at, Meteoric at your disposal, yeah. you know? And then um, that's got to be hard to deal with. You know, we, <laughs> we didn't really have that to deal with. It was always like, just a little nibble of that carrot at a time, yeah. you know? So we grew to appreciate each nibble that we got, yeah. you know, and, and it's been a 26 year career of that. Yeah. With this record, uh, Skrillex came on board sort of near the end. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, they sort of, uh, you know, helped shape some of the songs. I always find it interesting cause you guys worked with Dave Sardi on this stuff. Mm-hmm. What's that conversation like you know uh, how does dave say take to somebody else coming in is that like an organic thing how does that conversation take place it was dave worked with us from kind of square one and we worked on the record for like a year and it was essentially finished um we were listening to mixes you know and um, sunny came in just as a friend to listen to the mixes and um he started to express interest in this one track and I think that the assumption was that he was going to do like a remix. Yep. We were hoping he would do a remix, you know, because it's great if a successful creative uh, artist who's known for something else in music wants to sort of put their hands on your music because it's good. It just creates more diversity, more spark. 
And so we were happy about that. But then what he showed us wasn't a remix. He just, he sort of mixed the song again and he cut a part out of the song and fused it together and then looked at us sort of like humbly, like, don't get mad. I cut a part out, but what do you think? And it was like better. And so essentially what he had done was he lent a producerly uh, ear okay. to the thing. That's something like a, a producer would do. Um, and so he ended up mixing the record again and doing a couple of uh, lending some sort of co-production skills to two, three or four songs. Um, and I, I have to assume that um, that would be hard for any producer to work that long on something and then have another producer come in and at the last minute and kind of put their stamp on it. But it's also uh, par for course in this day and age. That's just sort of how things work. It's actually, we're still decidedly old school in that there was uh, only two producers that touched this record. No, right. Like every other record we've ever done, there was only ever one producer and us because this band is very much self-produced. But um, if you look on contemporary music, whether it's pop or rock or country, it's like there's 15 producers per song. Yeah. Yeah. 14 writers, you know, like we still have a very kind of insular camp i guess in the minutia of that uh, in in sort of the spirit of that though do you have the conversation directly with dave or is it just kind of like no it's like these are our songs and we're gonna let other people sort of yeah i mean it's it's sort of um you know it's the the end goal is to make it sound the best that it can and you know uh the music that has been written you know it's like that's that's our baby too so whatever we'd like to do with it you know that's completely up to us um yeah, we, i mean we own there are our songs of course so yeah. essentially it's our decision at the end of the day and mm-hmm. and for and for that to have happened at the last minute no one that was so unexpected yeah but it was also a really like amazing experience too eye-opening one because it's someone known for something completely different mm-hmm. and um to kind of just turn it up that extra level you know it's like that's that's the end goal is to have the best sounding record that you possibly can you know and it kind of doesn't really matter it's like everyone has an opinion on what you should or shouldn't do sure. it's kind of like what we feel collectively however you get there you just yeah, gotta get there it's the best thing for us and that's just that's how we've kind of lived our career you know do what we think is the best for us you know we've been following our nose through the process the whole time and it's only steered us horrifically wrong a couple of times we have very <laughs> we have like we have like french uh olfactory senses most of the time you know very advanced just kidding european noses for music <laughs> i guess lastly um i think there's some personalities within bands that sort of you know they feel like this is like the only thing we know how to do make music tour but it seems like you guys obviously have a good sense for other things and interests outside of just music solely um, going into this record, what were the conversations like about like why to record new music as Incubus? And then were there goals that you set out to sort of achieve? We didn't really have... We There was a lot of, of conversating that happened um, prior to the original writing on this record. A lot of those conversations happened um, amongst us at first when we started to talk about writing a record. Um, we didn't necessarily talk about the kind of record we wanted to write. We just were musing about making music again. You know what I mean? Um, and the first step of that process was Michael and I uh, rented a little uh, house in Venice Beach next to my house. We wanted like a neutral space. It was neither my house nor his house and something that was kind of unique. And um, we also wanted to uh, strip down our, our toolkit. So no amplification, really. We wanted to create... Um, 
foundations for songs that were strong enough uh, on their own, just with an acoustic guitar. Sure, the campfire test. Exactly. That's exactly it. I've never heard that term. But yeah, I like that's that. a good terminology. That's exactly what it was. And so we created the foundation for a handful of these tracks and um, then got into a room together and started to build the house around them. And that was fun. We've done similar things before, but never... Uh, Mike and I did that for like, I think it was like five months. And we took some time to do that. And they all started with conversations. Mike and I were just sort of drinking coffee and hanging out and just talking, caffeinated conversations. So... Um, I forget your original question. I just started rambling. Why, why you got together to sort of like what the impetus oh. for making this record and then what the goals were that right. you set out to achieve? So uh, essentially, I think we got back together to make an Incubus record because we, uh, we missed each other and we just had an overwhelming um, knowing that it was time. Mm. We sort of respond to these internal calls. You know, we've just felt inspired to get back together and make music. And that's how it started with uh, in 2014 with the Trustfall EP. Uh, I was supposed to be on uh, an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical called Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, playing Judas, and uh, it was a 50 date summer tour that we got all the way up to like within a week of the first show, and then the whole thing got canceled. And so it was a bummer, but then it ended up being an interesting um, bout of serendipity because shortly thereafter. Um, a guy you might know called Hans Zimmer. He's a yeah, friend, yeah, yeah. he's a friend of the band. Mikey's worked with him a lot. Uh, offered us a studio at his um, compound, and he didn't know what our plans were going to be. Oh, we have this studio that opened up. You guys are welcome to 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 write or jam whatever you want anytime. You know, and we were sort of like, we're not doing anything. Like I miss you guys. Let's go see what happens. So we yeah. set up our gear in there. Ended up writing that EP, which led us to a big summer tour in the States with the Deftones, which was super inspiring just to like be playing live again after kind of a break. And that led us right into the writing of eight. So, um, why was superstar canceled? Any number of things. I think it was, uh, maybe they bit off a little more than they could chew the promoters. Uh Um, or maybe nobody cared. I don't know, but it was going to be awesome. Yeah. The cast was rad. It was, it was myself. Uh, Johnny rotten was in the cast. (laughs) Uh, you got all the way up to the first week within a week within a week we were so you'd in, rehearse the shit out we of it in rehearsals we had done live tv to advertise wow. it tickets were on sale everything and then the whole thing just got shit canned at the last minute um but i'm so happy that it did even though it was a bummer it's like it we didn't really have plans to get back together at that at that right. point so it almost led to, to that it, yeah. in, a, in a way in retrospect you can kind of see this interesting serendipitous path that led us to eight and it's amazing because honestly, this is one of my favorite records we've, we've ever written. And without uh, any number of uh, circumstances, both good and really sad circumstances too, like really hard times for this band, um, we probably would not have gotten to this place where we are, which is really like, um, we're in this place as a band where we're, we're, we're just super inspired. We're really in a place where we have some perspective on things we've all been through the kind of five stories that rockers go through <laughs> you know um, I, I kind of feel like we're we're kind of highly functional right now a highly function we functioning are. family word. and band which is no easy feat yeah really, you know you're and in fighting shape yeah yeah definitely and i think we all feel better than i mean personally i feel better than i ever have not only personally but within this band too mm. and the goal like the simple goals because you know i like to i like to set goals that i can 
<laughs> you know, arm's length away was to write a great record. And it sort of surpassed that expectation. It's like one, it's my favorite record um, that we've done thus far, you know, and, you know, to go out and share that with the world is another goal. Like, you know, probably four or five years ago, I didn't know if we would put out another record ever again, you right. know, and to kind of look back at that time and see us where, you know, we're sitting here now promoting like a great piece of body of work is like pretty incredible. You know, I feel like we've achieved <laughs> a lot of those goals already. And, um, you know, as we go, we just sort of set ones in front of us and a world tour, you know, will, will be another one. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Thank, Thank you. I really appreciate it. Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the show, The Dessert. We are here with our friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, welcome. How are you? You were here in the opening, so it's not really a I was. I'm back now. Um, Max, I'm supposed to ask you. I forgot to last time. Uh, there's a guy in the building over there. His name's Sam. I've talked about him once before on the pod. Yeah. So uh, I tend to get dragged into things, and because uh, I'm a, I, I kind of like I'm like yes man. I say yes to everything. And Sam's also a writer producer here. He's a writer producer here, director. He's doing a film oh, <laughs> where I'm playing a woman, in uh. it. and it's not a comedy. It's How, like, is this like a short? It's supposed to be like a. <laughs> it is a short. Yeah, it's like a. A comment on like gender identity or something, but anyways, I'm, <laughs> something that you're a real. I'm playing a woman, in. but I'm not dressing as a woman. I'm like playing a pregnant woman in it. Okay, it's kind of weird, but we're applying for Bravo Fact, and we thought it would be a better chance of getting it approved if you were the composer on it. Oh, they want me to do some music for it. Yeah, it, you know, it might, it might not get accepted. We're just you know shooting for the moon. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, I'll, yeah. Okay. Let's talk good. about it. Wow, this is all this happening is in real talk. time. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> Sam actually wants to take this portion from the pod and send it to Bravo Fact. <laughs> so you just agreed to it. This legally or binding. no? Yeah, sign me up. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Okay, Done. so that's off my list. Um, <laughs> this list is hilarious. Now he asked me to borrow 150 bucks. <laughs> I want to tell everyone to see Master of None season two. I gotta watch oh, that. There's a, wow, pop culture aficionado hitting us with some pop culture. Yeah, yeah man. First. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I found like a lot of people did not give Master of None season one a chance. I liked it. Uh, besides you, though, like uh, Mike Veerman's brother, Greg, is a. He's a hard guy to get to like something, and he hated season one, but I was like, forget season one, watch season two, and you'll love it. It's the most Greg Veerman show of all time. He was hesitant, but I kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. He watched the whole season in one night. Yeah, he says it's a masterpiece. It is. It's awesome. Yeah. And I implore you all to watch it. Uh, I'm off Instagram. I thought I'd announce that. What? I'm finding I'm living a more stress-free life now because of it. I never didn't think it would affect me this much, but it is. Who, who uh, spurred that decision? Well, I had my colonoscopy. You know what? Let's talk about that because we have not talked. I know that you had no. this uh, pretty invasive procedure, and we haven't yeah. talked about it since. So as our listeners know, you've been having a lot of uh, issues with your, your butt, your, your my, body, your bowels. All right, a quick producer's note here. Uh, the rest of the episode is mostly Shane talking about his butt and his colonoscopy and issues around that area of his body. So if you're not interested in that kind of uh, story, see you next week if we don't die on the weekend. But if you're interested in and concerned about Shane's health, listen in.
I just didn't know what was going on. It always felt like I had to go to the washroom. It's a, it's a condition called uh, tenesimus. So it's basically what all it means is it always feels like you have to go. Like the feeling of having to go isn't actually that annoying. But when it persists 24 hours a day, it's like it's unbearable. So anyway, I went in and the, after a month of waiting, the day finally came. And, you know, I'm a... Uh, I'm very scared of having anything go up my butt. Like they say the G spots up there. But when that tube was going in, man, like I swear, like you could, I, where's the G spot? Like you could not feel any pleasure of it. It was so uncomfortable. Anyway, originally um, my decision was to be put under. So I was gearing up for that. But a lot of people were saying there is um, some negative effects that can happen from that. I had this fear of... Uh, for some reason that I was going to get an erection and wake up with like a boner or something like that. So my plan was to just J-O as many times as possible in the morning. So I, you know, I'm wailing away on myself like all, all morning. Mm -hmm. Then I have a bath to make sure I'm all clean. And then I had to take um, Ducalax, which is a uh, thing that makes you go. And then I, I had to take two enemas before. Have What's you guys, an enema again? I never knew. Like uh, I was a big Blink fan growing up, and one of their uh, landmark albums is Enema of the State. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew it was something to do with butt, but I never really knew what it was. So it's a, uh, it's like a nozzle that you stick up your butt. It's kind of like a, um, like a ketchup squeeze bottle with like a nozzle at the end. Those old ones at like old diners. Okay. And then you squeeze all this liquid up your butt. And then in about two minutes later, it flushes your entire system out. It like, it just empties it. And then I had another bath, waited two hours, did this process again. Oh my God. But then I was, I was thinking that's not so bad. Actually. Like I got used to sticking the thing up my butt and then I said, did you do it yourself or did Alex help? No, I did it myself. Nice. And that's what gave me the confidence to say, I'm going to do the colonoscopy with no s- sedation. Mm. So when I got there, uh, the girl was like, oh, sedation or no. And I'm like, ah, I should be a man and get no sedation or whatever. And she's like, this is going to suck. She said that? Yeah, the nurse. Wow. She, she, yeah, because it was like four days after my birthday or something. So she was like, this is the worst birthday gift ever. This is going to suck. And I'm like, oh, man, now I'm getting a little bit scared. They wheel me in the room. And this kind of like, she's an attractive, like, young, she was younger than me, like, uh, Asian doctor. She just rams two fingers right up my butt without really warning me. And I'm like, like, it is crazy. It's the craziest feeling I've ever had in my life. I'm just, and she's like, stop squeezing, stop squeezing. So I, and I, you can't really move. I had to relax, like try to relax with those fingers going up your butt. And then she shoves the tube up there from the space she creates with her fingers. And I'm like, Aah! and it, it's getting real crazy. And they're, they're shoving a camera up there. And then they put like a plasma screen in front of your face. So you can watch the whole process go down. Oh, wow. But I'm like closing my eyes because to me it's disgusting. It'd be funny if you had options, like you prefer to watch Master of None season two <laughs> or something during it's the air season. Canada flight. Yeah, <laughs> but you're seeing like all up your 
your innards. Was it weird to see inside yourself? I couldn't look at it for more than two seconds straight. And then she pulled it out. It, it only lasted like maybe 15 minutes. 15 pulled minutes? It, yeah. yeah only. It's a long time. Oh, I think it was like 15 seconds. So. And then she said, everything seems to be fine. And then I was like, oh, why was I having all these feelings? And then she said, it's probably anxiety, which is true because I've been, uh, I'm always anxiety ridden. So then uh, that's why I stopped going on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Thanks again to anyone who voted Mike for MMVA. We're thrilled to have an award nomination. Yeah, Uh, thank you so much. Pretty awesome. Uh, you can find us online uh, at Mike on Much for Twitter and Instagram. Please leave a comment and rating in iTunes. That really helps the show grow. If you like the show, tell your friends because uh, word of mouth is uh, one of the most powerful tools a podcast like ours can uh, grow. So please do that. Uh, you can a huge thank you to Jenna Gregory uh, for providing the artwork for the show. You can find more of her stuff at jennasdoodles.com. Of course, thank you to Dan Carruthers who helps this show roll. Justin Stockman, Greg Stewart, Kristen Nicholas the whole team we have here helping us out. Thanks to Dan Roder for coming on. Michael Much Podcast produced by Max Kerman. Shane Cunningham, our pop culture aficionado. Thank you. I'm your host, Mike Bierman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. <laughs>